0: This is Comic Shanigan's episode 570, Flashback to Iron Man, War Machine, Hands of the Mandarin. Welcome to the Comic podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 570. It's our flashback to the uh, Iron Man, War Machine storyline called Hands of the Mandarin, which, to be honest, I thought for sure I must have done an an episode of the podcast before but apparently I never have So uh, I'm your host Adam Chapman and we're talking about Hands of the Mandarin So Hands of the Mandarin is quite an old storyline now And I'll give you a bit of a reason why I'm calling it a flashback episode um, So Hands of the Mandarin, and I feel like I've talked about it numerous times in the podcast before Maybe it was more in passing as opposed to doing an actual focus on it Because I went through all the listings of all the flashback episodes and I didn't see it there So there was a storyline in the early 90s in Invincible Iron Man and it crossed over with War Machine and Force Works at the time. Uh, and it was basically you know a storyline that brought the Mandarin really back into the fold. It was a really big Mandarin storyline. Um, I guess the last time he had shown up, I want to say, was uh, around what, Iron Man 275. So this was occurring around Iron Man 310 to 312. Uh, so my first interaction with this comic, so if we go back, I believe this original storyline took place basically in... Uh nineteen ninety four. That's my recollection of it anyway. Uh that this came out in nineteen ninety four. Let's see. Yeah, copyright ninety four and ninety five. So they started this storyline. Now my recollection of it and the how I first came to it is that I remember in nineteen ninety four they had the Marvel Action Hour on TV. So I was watching the animated series for both Fantastic Four and Iron Man. Not that they were that great, but as a kid, like you don't know any better. Um yeah, I would have been like ten eleven um, yeah, I would have turned 11 in, like, November 2000, sorry, November 1994, um, so I would have been about 11 years old, and I think for my year, uh, for my birthday that year, um, I got a couple comics, and, uh, and I know that one of them was, I think Iron Man, like, the adaptation of the, uh, of the TV series, I think it was the, like, a tie-in comic, and I think it was, like, issue two or something, and I got, I believe, Iron Man 311. And so it was part, you know, part of this ongoing storyline, as part of the uh, hands of the Mandarin. And I always kind of remember it for that. And like that was my one of my first real interactions to Iron Man, which is why I feel like I've probably talked about this on the podcast before. Uh, so now I feel bad if I'm, uh, you know, kind of um, retreading my own steps. Uh, for years, I always assumed that I would never own the rest of the Hands of the Mandarin. Uh, it's not a long storyline; it's six parts. And for years, uh, whenever I'd be at a convention, I would try and pick them up. But if I couldn't finish it, I wouldn't. So I had, again, I had the you know part, I believe three or so um, of the series, and I just I always wanted to read the rest because yeah, I had part just looking at it here, part three of six was an Iron Man three hundred and eleven. Kind of weird that it didn't even start in an Iron Man book technically. Um, but I always wanted the complete six part series. I could only ever find five of the issues, so I just kept not buying it, which is kind of weird. Like, it was almost like if I couldn't have all of it, I wasn't going to bother. Uh, I remember being in Philly in 2008, and I got close, and I finally found all five, like five of the six chapters, but I just couldn't find all of them, and I kind of said, you know, forget it. Uh, which, looking back, is kind of a ridiculous mindset. What the hell was I thinking? But I just, I guess I wanted to be able to finish it and read it all, and otherwise, screw it. Um, so for years I just hadn't had a chance to ever finish it because I never had all the chapters and, but I just had, you know, fond memories of that particular issue because it was one of my first interactions with Iron Man. I remember reading the, um, you know, the letters pages and it was hyping up what was to come in the storyline and it always seemed very exciting. Uh, and again, you know, when you're a kid, everything is more exciting probably. Um, so, yeah, I was, you know, super, super interested and, and kind of super psyched by the entire storyline. Uh, and that was kind of it. And then, uh, I guess, what, 2014, I want to say? Let's see, 2013. So I guess well, this would have been time for... Well, that makes sense. I'm trying to think. 2013, that's when Iron Man 3 came out. So 2013, you have Iron Man uh, 3 comes out focusing on a character called the Mandarin, but not really the Mandarin. Uh, so I guess Marvel was kind of like, you know what, let's... You know, pump out some Mandarin storylines, and we have one called "The Hands of the Mandarin." And look, it even has War Machine in it. Who's, you know, he was Iron Patriot in Iron Man Three, but it's still Jim Rhodes, and War Machine was in the second movie. So there was, you know, I guess the this was kind of hitting off the boxes in terms of what can we reprint uh, that's Iron Man wise that we haven't already reprinted. Which, I mean, at that point, let's be honest. I mean, the the Iron Man stuff they would always reprint would be uh, the Iron Monger storyline, a demon in a bottle. Uh, what else, uh, Armor Wars, Armor Wars 2, well, even then that was kind of a stretch, but that was coming out, they had uh, one or two, the Dragon Seed Saga, which was John Byrne's um, Iron Man story with uh, the Mandarin, which is the last, I believe, Mandarin appearance predating uh, Hands of the Mandarin, so you had all these like, kind of disparate, you know, you have a few collections that everyone would kind of look at as these are the ones you reprint, and there was a lot of Iron Man material that just wasn't really up to that, uh, or wasn't part of that, which is kind of interesting, because, you know, we think of Iron Man very differently now, obviously. I mean, I was a... I, I'm not going to say an OG Iron Man fan or anything, but, you know, I first came to Iron Man, you know, uh, my first interaction was obviously in this comic with the hands of the Mandarin, but it was like a one-off. I never saw an Iron Man issue really again, uh, until Heroes Reborn*, Born, and uh, Heroes Are Born was big for me, because I was... that was, what, 96? So I was 13 years old. I was, I was prime. I was right in the right spot, and I remember... Like getting my mom, she went to Portland for a convention or a, um, a medical convention or a toxicology conference or one of those things. So she went to, I had asked her to go to a comic book store because I didn't really get a chance to ever go to one ever. Uh, and she, you know, went to one and I think it was like a CD part of town. So I sent my mom to a CD part of town to look for comics for me. And she ended up getting Iron Man, uh, I think it was one, two, and three. Um, and then I wasn't able to find four and five. And then I was able to get six, seven, and everything until the end of the run. For years I hadn't even read issues four and five. Um, and so Iron Man was like a big deal to me. So it's interesting that my interaction with Iron Man is, you know, predates more modern people knowing who Iron Man is. So whenever I read around an Iron Man comic, it's really weird to me now because it's just not the Tony I knew up until, you know, 2008. Uh, Tony was a very different character. Um, now, he is Tony Snark most of the time. That's just how people, most people write him. I'm really curious how Dan Slott's going to write him. If he's going to give him a, make him feel a little bit more like classic Tony. Um, not that, you know, that's... I just feel like sometimes they, they go too far. Kind of like how, at times in the comic books, they go too far with uh, Star-Lord as well. Um, and again... As a fan of you know everything that DNA did with uh, with Star Lord as part of the Guardians of the Galaxy and in the Annihilation uh, Conquest series and everything after that, uh, it's really weird to read that and uh, see a very different version of Peter Quill that's you know not the version I fell in love with, although you could make the argument that the version I liked wasn't even the Engelhardt's version, which was, you know, the original uh, Star-Lord as well. So it's interesting how people come to things and how they, you know, their version of characters may or may not end up jiving with what the the, the, the larger kind of populace of comic fans end up liking. Um, Obviously, Iron Man, the way that Tony Stark... Is portrayed by Robert Downey Jr. has become that character, uh, for better or for worse, and that's you know it's been ten years of that's the way that Tony is now. Anything that he was before that is different. Anyways, so I'm, I was actually I was trying to talk about Hands of the Manor, and so for years uh again i had never read the storyline so finally in 2013 uh and i remember seeing this uh what we call it? amazon fish uh probably in 2012 being like oh uh iron man the uh, hand of the mandarin and i i was absolutely gobsmacked and it goes to show that any storyline will eventually get reprinted in some format i uh, may not think it will happen but if there's no legal kind of battle around the characters or the rights or the licensing then it's very possible i've I think uh, a couple years ago, I think it was a a Comic Shenanigans on Vacation episode from 2014, I believe, where I talked about uh, Marvel's The Companion. um, That it had a a book called Conspiracy that I never thought would be reprinted, ever. Uh, It was a late 90s I think it was Igor Accordi, but it was just a, it was an odd little two issue miniseries about this conspiracy at the heart of the Marvel Universe. Never got mentioned anywhere else. The characters never showed up anywhere else. It was very much its own thing, positing that there was a secret government conspiracy that kind of allowed everything that we know in the Marvel Universe to happen. Uh, which is interesting because if you go back, I was listening to, uh, now I, now I can't remember what it's called, and I, I feel bad, but the, the spinoff most recent spin-off podcast of this, of, uh, of of the Amazing Spider Talk. Um, called The Untold Talks of Spider-Man. They recently did um, a focus on an issue... Um, or a comic uh, Marvel Knights Spider-Man volumes 1 number 1 to 12 and in that you had Mark Millar kind of coming up with the idea of uh, you know a government conspiracy kind of uh, around some of the 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 villains and it was kind of similar but different uh, to what I had seen in that conspiracy miniseries Uh, but again eventually everything could and might be reprinted and that's how I felt when I saw Hands of the Mandarin Um, so when I read it I realized that there was things that I never knew that were connected or that were kind of not necessarily essential reading, but pretty important to read to kind of underline understand the story. But again, I wouldn't have known this as a kid. Um, looking at it, you have the Marvel Comics presents issue one seventy, and I didn't realize that it went that long because again, I I wasn't going to a comic book store. Like I would see comics in spinneracks and like at grocery stores and stuff. And I don't think I made it into my first actual real comic book store till maybe ninety seven, ninety eight. Uh, trying to think like what comic I would have gone. Like if I went through all my singles I like could probably find like when I started switching to direct editions but I don't even know when that would have happened for me. I feel like it was, you know, again late 90s. I remember might have been around the same time I got my first debit card, which is a really nerdy thing to remember. And I feel like it was around the first appearance of Spider-Girl. Like, all these things kind of blend together, but um, these moments that make up part of my comic book reading history. Um, Spider-Girl is actually a pretty big part of that, um, which I've always regretted, and I think I mentioned before, only going to issue 50 on that series, and then I dropped it because I was kind of reading other things that were probably more a flavor of the... Of the month, or like you know, just not as our, in a retro style. And looking back, I super regret it, and I'm excited for the upcoming complete collections uh, to be able to actually go back and read those because I, I missed out because i was dumb i was a dumb i was a dumb kid i was i'm trying to think i was 19 years old and i was like i don't need spider girl anymore I, I i a good jumping off point after issue 50 and i'm sure it was but i i missed out you know like another 50 issues of that run and uh assorted miniseries and, uh, and the amazing spider girl that came after it and yeah it's always a, one of those comic book regrets um uh, I also have a regret although now I don't really care as much but back in the day uh, I missed out on getting Ultimate Spider-Man number one on the white cover and uh, it was right next to the regular one and I was like oh, I don't need the white cover I want the cool one uh, not not this white one and that was the, the wrong move but only if I would have sold but if I would had both I probably would have sold one I don't know it's one of those things you know it used to bother me for a long time um, but then the ultimate line kind of died and you know that's what 17 years ago now like or something like that Like I can't even remember how long that's been I feel like it was, what, 2001 or 2001 when Ultimate Spider-Man came out? Like, it it just feels so long ago, but it was such a big comic for me. Um, you know, being on the ground floor, reading it until the end of Ultimatum, and then when the book kind of ended and it became Ultimate Comic Spider-Man, and I was just like, I'm done, I'm good. I didn't like the art style that was coming on, I liked Eminem, I liked Bagley, but I was done. And, uh... Yeah. I don't know why this became a weird kind of walk down memory lane, why I stopped reading certain books, what maybe in other books. But I'm supposed to be talking about Iron Man and the Mandarin. Um, so you start off with Marvel Comics Presents Forceworks, issue one seventy. And uh, it it is branded Hands of the Mandarin on the cover, but again, I was in a in a comic book store to see it and to see this kind of uh, this kind of setup issue for what Mandarin was kinda of going through and how he ends up um you know being reborn and and making this pact and getting these new arms and it's kind of cool but um i never saw this until i read this trade and then you have war machine number eight which is uh i love the i love um i love first of all i love comics that had like lettering on it because you see that less now but it's like this is it the big one and then you have a war machine just grabbing iron man if this is the only way i can get the plans for my tin suit iron man so be it um i forget how much uh they were against each other i actually really like the art um it's by what gabriel gecko i don't know from anything else uh the issue is written by scott benson and Lynn kaminsky and i know kaminsky but i don't really know scott benson and it's a it's a cool kind of flashback to iron man 192 which i know now and even looking at it is pretty cool um and again this kind of flashback and uh, all the kind of negative things that have gone and gone through, uh, the lives of Tony and Rhodes at this point. Uh, and Rhodes spends a lot, if you actually look at it, there's a numerous times in here where it's either a flashback to when, uh, Rhodes was Iron Man and throwing his helmet on the ground or throwing his, uh, War Machine helmet on the ground. Uh, like he, he likes throwing his armor on the ground and getting half naked. Like that's the main takeaway from this issue. Um, but it, it's interesting to kind of see, again, what was going on with these characters and the, uh, the, the anger that, that Rhodes had for Iron Man, uh, how they were not getting along, and seeing them fight each other is pretty cool. Um, I mean, it's kind of played out, but it was interesting to kind of see them fight each other and, you know, the, trying to deal with this anger that they have for each other. I also have Mandarin. And it's interesting because the rest of the storyline, he doesn't really wear this weird mask for most of the storyline, uh, which is good because I, I much prefer what he looks like in my first issue of Iron Man, um, which we'll get to in a second. Um, I love the idea that, uh, you know, he's he lost his hands in Iron Man 275, but now he's got these these new hands because of this this deal he's made. Um, and at the end of, the, of this issue, you have Iron Man being able to kind of shut down uh, Rhodes, and Rhodes is pretty pissed about it. And he's like, you know, your days at War Machine are over. And uh, then you go, you know, right into an issue of Iron Man, uh, which they're fighting again. Now, the artwork is a lot less clean, um, because then you go into uh, Tom Morgan on, on the artwork. And it's highly stylized. I do like it, but um, the previous issue was a much cleaner kind of style, uh, cleaner look on the armor. And then suddenly you have much more stylized um, a lot, like it's interesting. A lot of people will make Iron Man's armor very smooth and reflective. And yet here it's like, there's a lot of almost like almost like it's body armor as opposed to being actual armor. Like it, in terms of the kind of interesting curvature on, um, on Iron Man's chest and how it's just, it's just an interesting design. It feels less like actual armor plating and more like just kind of sculpted their, to their bodies. If that makes sense. um, And here we have, again, another look for Mandarin, which is, again, more consistent to what he'll have in the rest of the storyline, where he's not wearing the mask, um, and he's wearing kind of a... It's, you know, one of the outfits he has had, but it's, uh, I think, more stylized here. And, uh, again, we get to see some cool uh, fight sequence between Iron Man and War Machine, although I don't think it's nearly as well put together um, as before. And, again, we have more flashbacks, um, which make this issue a little bit more redundant because of what we just saw. Um, in the issue War Machine, uh, these two characters, and it's interesting too because it it was pretty easy for Iron Man to kind of end it, but now here it goes on a lot longer. Uh, and then uh, you have uh, the Mandarin show up, and he just kind of grabs them both, and uh, they disappear. And that's really kind of I'm like I look back on them like that's kind of strange that like you have the characters disappear into a crossover, but that's not part one. Like it's it's like this issue could have been a Part 1 or could have been like a lead-up or something. It's just it's interesting branding because I feel like if I had decided, you know, if I had been able to find the original singles and not picked up this trade and just gone from uh, chapters 1 to 6, I feel like not reading the the chapter immediately before it in Iron Man would have been doing a disservice. You would have been missing a chapter. And to understand that, you have to read the issue of War Machines. It's just interesting that they didn't brand it in any way that would make people pick it up, but they're pretty integral. Well, at least, like, one of them is more integral just because you have Mandarin show up and you have stuff that's going on with Mandarin that's setting up his own storyline. So I just feel like you need that. And again, you have that Marvel Comics Presents, which is very poorly advertised because, you know, when I remember picking this up, it was... I don't remember them saying anywhere you got to pick this up for this prelude. Um, so it's just interesting that you know this was back in the day when they got really big in, into um, you know putting the numbers on everything and trying to make you get everything in a any kind of crossover in a family of titles. So it just seems like a missed opportunity or they, they didn't really know what to do in the Iron Man kind of office with regards to putting things together like that because it just feels very awkwardly put together. And then uh, when the storyline finally starts, you get Force Works, gets to have part one of six, which is crazy. Um, and, and on the cover, of Iron Man and War Machine kind of with the team, but that's not really going to happen. And again, you have uh, the weird mask the Mandarin's wearing, which I don't even know if he actually wears it in here. Um, you have, this is by Dan Abbott and Andy Lanning with our work by Dave Taylor. Uh, Dave Taylor's artwork is, again, very stylized, uh, a lot of detail work. Uh, you have you know Sentry, super nineties character. You have uh, a version of the Recorder who I forgot was even hanging out with Force Works, and you start the storyline with you know Iron Man and uh, War Machine are just kind of stuck in front of uh, of Mandarin and again. Like a, a big thing happened, you know, but they don't go anywhere with this. And it's interesting too that while they're here, um, uh, Mandarin is not able to you know take off Iron Man's mask somehow, but he's able to take off. You know, War Machine's pretty easy, and, like, rip off his armor, but he can't do it to Iron Man at this point. And you have all these avatars that, um, um, Mandarin's made deals with, so all these, you know, creatures are running through, uh, where are they? They're just... In Hong Kong? Yeah, they are in Hong Kong. You have Force Works trying to defend people. Um, they very stylized. Um, I, I like the team. I feel like if the artwork had been different, maybe people would have a be- better feeling of this era, because the artwork is very of its time. Um, a lot of extra lines, it's not really that smooth, uh, but I feel like people would look more fondly upon the Force Works era if they had a little bit better artwork. Not to say it's bad, it's just, it's of the time, and it hasn't always aged well. Um you have Iron Man, you know, be like, you know, stop, stop hurting, you know, War Machine, you're killing him, and, um, then it looks like he destroys, uh, uh hold on, what happens, like a sentry shows up, tries to save War Machine, and they seemingly die, but they're, they're fine, and then, again, you have a hands of the Mandarin tie-in, and Marvel Comics presents, uh, 169, um, which, again, is, is really strange to me, because, again, this, actually, hold on, how does this even make sense? Issue one seventy comes first in the trade, showing what's going on with how, I guess the deal that Mandarin makes, which is from late December, and then early December you have Force Works uh, in Marvel Comics Presents one sixty nine. So that's super strange, and I guess that takes place. How does how does this like I, I'm curious what the decision was when they decided to kind of make the storyline happen or what, what editorial was doing, because even in here you have Iron Man where Iron Man shouldn't be. And then you just go on force works going against these characters. And then you have a backup story with the recorder. It's super odd. Uh, then we go to chapter two, which is in war machine, war machine number nine, taking on the mandarins, killer hordes alongside Sentry, starring force works. Um, again, nice and clean artwork. um, I'm trying to see what the creative team is. I don't even know. know where the creative team is. You'd think it'd be on the first page, but you uh, would be incorrect. Um, you have the name of the book, but you don't see anything else. And I feel like the reason for that, now that I think about it, is I think that each issue of the proper storyline had to, like a proper like title page where they might have put the creative team on that. Uh because it does because the creative team actually never shows up in this chapter too. The artwork is nice and clean again. Um it's much more streamlined storyline as you have Sentry has has um saved War Machine. War Machine's not really able to do anything in his armor. Um he's trying to get it off and you know, him and Sentry are trying to figure out what to do. You have Iron Man being beaten up by Mandarin, who's still unable to get into his armor. Um but it's a, it's a nice little Focus on you know James Rhodes. Uh, he's a hero even without the armor, and him and essentially trying to figure out what to do. Is you also flash back on Force Works trying to figure out what the, their next step is. Um, and uh, I get this kind of weird. It's weird too that War Machine kind of says he doesn't have the ability to do anything, um, and then in terms of his armor, but he's still wearing his armor, and then attaches like ninja armor on it. I mean, sure, why not? It doesn't make any practical sense, but it's it's fine. Uh, they they get into their, um, I guess, their their Force shorts jet, and then they're losing power and they're going down, and that's not really going to change for the next issue. Then you move into Marvel Comics Presents 171, which is more of the story of what happens with Sentry and War Machine, which, again, feels odd, because we sort of saw a lot with them in that other issue, and this just feels like it duplicates as opposed to really telling a whole different story. Then we get to what, for me, is the main event, Iron Man 311 Part Three of Man- uh, Hands of the Mandarin, which is unmasked by the Mandarin, starring Force Works and War Machine, and again the uh, the artwork is highly stylized, um, but a lot of fun. Um, again, this issue really is about Mandarin running to know who Iron Man is, which it kind of goes on too long. Like you had the other characters like dealing with a lot of stuff, and a lot of time seems to go by, and yet Mandarin here is just you know shaping and creating these characters and these avatars and. Yeah, he's slowly having to deal with Iron Man. Like it, it's very protracted. And when you read it and nice and gathered and collected, it doesn't make any sense that it takes this long to do something relatively simple. Whereas in War Machine and Sentry have their own, own whole adventure. So his force works. Yet Iron Man's storyline is like has been like half an hour, like an hour. Like it just seems a little weird. Um, I do like that you have the Mandarin using each of his rings to attack Iron Man, who's basically just standing there and can't do anything for some reason uh, because his armor is dead. Uh, so first he's hit by electricity and impact beams. Then there's heat and cold rays. Um, and again, he's just in. Finally, the disintegrator beam is able to, you know, take off the mask and unveil that Tony Stark is his um, Iron Man. And that was. Kind of a cool reveal, and again, as a kid, I'm like, holy shit, that's a big deal. Like, you know, again, as a kid, you don't know anything about comics, you don't know that much about the secret identities, but I knew enough from the TV show that, you know, no one knows that Tony Stark is Iron Man, which, again, nowadays, is just ludicrous because that's just a core tenant to the character for a long time now. Um, But back in the day, it wasn't. So this was a big deal. Again, you know, this is 10 year old me being like, holy shit, he he figured out that he's Iron Man, and again, It's a a pretty cool moment, and uh, Iron Man's completely beaten. You have um, Sentry and War Machine fighting on against the Hordes, uh, which is pretty cool, and I think still reads pretty well. Uh, You have Iron Man trying to goad... uh, mandarin into uh basically disintegrating the beam uh sorry using his disintegrator beam to get the armor all off of him so he's finally able to fight uh warmer uh, sorry mandarin on his own and it does not go well because mandarin is uh, a master of martial arts but tony does get a few licks in until he gets beaten up and uh then we flash back to uh what's going on with uh force works as they're still in their plane still about to you know have a really rough landing and, uh, they smash into something and there's a great shot of, um, uh, what, what was the name? U.S. agent jumping out of the, uh, of the, of the wreckage and trying to get his, his shield up and it's not working. And he's, you know, calling out the Scarlet Witch and Spider-Woman and, uh, no one's showing up. And, uh, he's like, oh, all right. You know, you primitives, you know, who's first. And that's, it's a cool kind of badass moment, um, and then you know Iron Man, uh, Iron Man is you know pretty much beaten uh, at the hands of the Mandarin, which they finally say, "Now my oldest enemy, you die at the hands of the Mandarin," because you have to say that in the storyline. And then uh, continues in Force Works Seven. But before you make it there, again, if you're reading this trade, you get Marvel Comics presents uh, number one seventy-two. It looks like it was had uh, stories featuring vengeance, uh, lunatic, and Force Works. And so in the Phoenix, uh, sorry, in the uh, Force Works story. It's all about when they crash land, and uh, or about to crash land. With Scarlet Witch is trying to hold on, um, you know, Spider Woman. Everyone's trying to make sure that they they are okay. Now, in this, it makes it look like Spider Woman and Scarlet Witch actually bail out uh, with their um, uh, what you call it uh, parachutes. But it would appear that they never told U.S. Agent what was going on. So U.S. Agent goes down with the ship. His crew has jumped out. They're fine. I'm just like that. Doesn't really like, work well. Um, and then, what really doesn't make any sense, is that at the end of the issue, you have Scarlet Witch breaking into, um, where Iron, uh, Iron Man is, but you have Mandarin, and you have Iron Man and War Machine in front of him, and him going, what? And it doesn't make any sense, because War Machine's not there, Iron Man has no armor anymore, what the hell is this? And then you have a US agent story, as he's dealing with about to crash land, which again, we already saw in that issue of Iron Man, and then him jump... He doesn't jump out as defiantly here, he's just like, oh man, I'm in pain, oh, someone wants to fight me, I guess I'll fight. Then his shield doesn't work, and then he decides he's going to get his hands dirty and fight against uh, these hordes. It feels very different, and doesn't quite work the same as it does in the, you know, chapter 3 proper. So it's almost like they're flushing out some of the side pieces in these MCP issues, but they're not necessarily doing a great job, and the continuity's kind of sloppy. Then we got Force Works, issue four of six. I'm sorry. Issue seven, part four of six, Hearts of Darkness. It's, again, a cool cover. And I I think of all the artwork, this is not the issue. But generally, it's had a very clean artwork. Now, here, things make more sense because you have Spider-Woman ends up joining with um, uh, Agent, And now they explain, oh, we bailed, just like you told us. He's like, oh, hey, I knew that. I feel like they didn't know that. They were trying to cover things off because they realized that maybe they left something off of a previous issue. Uh, You have Mandarin... About to kill Tony. And you do have Scarlet Witch show up, but again, this is, you know, it doesn't make sense because here Tony has no armor. The armor's on the ground. He's not standing there in his armor and War Machine isn't there. Uh, but that's basically what you got in that other issue. Now, maybe you could say that wasn't War Machine. Maybe it was, no, it was War Machine. So again, it doesn't, the continuity does not work once you see them in rapid succession. Uh, but Scarlet Witch shows up to go up against uh, Mandarin and try and rescue Tony. And uh, again, you have more of the fighting with, um, all the other characters, you have U.S. Agent, etc. You have more of the um, uh, Century and War Machine as they make friends. They decide they're going to muster forces with this other group. They're going to ride and do what they can to you know stop the Mandarin. Um, and again, just very crazy stuff. The Mandarin has a lot of power, but doesn't actually do a lot for most of this. Uh, and decides you know he's. He, he's going to be a god, he's going to you know remake the world, but again, a lot of the time he's not really doing much, but he has made it so that technology doesn't work. Sorry, I forgot to mention that before, and that's why you had the, um, the Force Works jet going down. That's why you had the armor not working, because anything technological doesn't work, and you also had um, you know the, the shield not working for uh, U.S. Agent. Uh, then you go into War Machine, uh, Issue 10, which is Hand to the Mandarin, Part 5, Although, it doesn't actually, at this point, say the number, which is interesting. I wonder why they did that, because all the issues prior, well, the, the main ones, not the MCP issues, which are weird on their own, uh, had the, kind of a, a nice little imprint that said you know which part it was, and yet it's not included, at least not in the trade, uh, on the issue 10. Um, but again, it's much more of just kind of the, the entire team coming together, uh, everyone in Force Works to fight. Uh, now that Tony's been, you know, rescued, etc., um, they're trying to fight against the Mandarin's forces and figure out what they're going to do to stop uh, to stop uh, Mandarin. And you have a, a cool uh, let's see Iron Man and Force Works Collector's Preview Number One by Tom Morgan cover, which is pretty cool. And then we have a Hands of the Mandarin, which um, finally reaching its end. Which again, not having the stamp that says Part Six of Six in issue three twelve. Um, and I remember just the cover of this because this was shown on the letters pages to issue three eleven. Uh, and this is kind of a big, uh, double-sized issue. Again, the artwork is a little bit busy, but, um, you know, the Mandarins decided to, he's going to cleanse the world, uh, it's the wall of the gods, uh, they're, you know, they're going to uh, cleanse the world of, uh, corrupt philosophies of science and the decadent spawn of technology, and, uh, they're going to, you know, take, take the fight to the Mandarin. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of kind of fighting, and that's a lot of what this is, um... But it's not meant to be like a deep character study. It's you know it's it's a lot of fun to kind of see the characters out of their element, not really being able to use their technology, um, and being able. And Tony figures out a way to infect the Mandarin, which is cool and makes him unclean towards the uh, you know kind of the the bargain with the devil, so to speak, that he's made. He ends up disappearing, and um, yeah, now there is um, definitely a, a hint here that Mandarin isn't actually gone forever, and he's actually. You know, somewhat survived, and we won't see that for a while. Paid off, but um, no, I, I like this. And again, we also see that um, Tony and and Rhodes have you know somewhat come to a bit of amends. But I feel like for years they kept coming back to the idea of them not really being friends anymore. But it was issues like this was they definitely tried to uh, kind of uh, go past that. You have a brief moment here where Tony is considering having a drink and decides not to, and uh, you know, you know, he's gonna he's gonna move on. That's hands of the mandarin is it great no i don't think it is um it's a bit of a mess um you have a lot of characters but you don't necessarily have a lot to do the timeline isn't exactly certain uh the mandarin's methods and abilities and powers aren't always that clear either um and at the end it just kind of goes a little bit too crazy but you know it's fun um it's kind of dumb fun it's a dumb, fun Iron Man storyline. Not the greatest artworker either, because it's very '90s, very of the time. Um, but you know what? Eleven-year-old Adam likes it. Or sorry, I should say, ten-year-old Adam still likes it, um, and still will always love that. You know, Iron Man three eleven because that was my you know first real Iron Man issue. And I apologize if I've talked about this in the podcast before. And I'm sure I have, and I'm sure I'm repeating myself. But uh, you know, it's just something to hand to the Mandarin. So even though it's not a great storyline, it's still going to remain on my shelf. Am I going to be handing it out to people and recommending they read it? No, probably not. This one's for me um you know the there's some things you're going to have because you love them because they're really well written or really great art and some are just matter to you um you have a personal connection and it's not necessarily a great one um but it's just you know a, a comic you loved at a certain time of your life or for whatever reason uh that just kind of sticks with you and you can't shake it and you don't want to because it's a good memory So uh, that is our episode today. This has been episode, I guess, what, three, sorry, 570. You can email me at shenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for listening. And our next non-reviews episode will be up in, I guess, four days, five days. It'll be our Avengers Infinity War episode, probably going up on April 28th. Uh, We'll have a reviews episode coming up in the meantime. Uh, Our after- the Avengers episode, we're going to have a conversation with Chris Sotomayor a uh, week, week after that. I believe we'll have a. I'm trying to think. I think we'll have an interview with uh, Norm Brayfogle. Um, so we have some other great stuff coming up down the line. We have Rolf, Mach- Rolf Macchio, uh, Jim Kruger, um, some other stuff that's uh, going to be a lot of fun and some great content. So please join us for that. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Thank you so much for listening to Combo Shenanigans and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.